ございます。Hello, it is the standard, the conversation, the blueprint, the CEO, Mercedes Money. And you are listening to Mangu Khan Salami podcast. So make sure you join and listen to it weekly. Hey, this is Roberto. You're back with another Steambox podcast. Today, I'm with the Warriors from Central Falls. Warriors, please say what's up to the world. What's up? Now, normally, we could do in our Steambox versus podcast. But in February, in February, we do our spinoff, Mangu Con Salami, where we explore love and romance from the perspective of a teenager. So I'm interested in having that conversation. I kind of want to pick up where we left off before. So I'll get back into that in a minute. But first, I want to introduce you to our guest, Ian. Ian, what's happening? What's going on, y'all? This is, is this your second time with us? It is. I think the first time, it was either 2016 or 2017. Alvarez High School, we did, uh, we did a symposium, a domestic violence symposium, right. and you were with us for that. Right. Some people here might have met uh, somebody who's very close to you, um, who was a founding member of Steambox, and she joins us for Joyful Rebellion in May. Uh, so we are connected. We're connected. Uh, Ian, you're joining us today because you're with a group called Ten Men, who works with the Rhode Island Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Can you tell the world a little bit about Ten Men and where they can find out information? Yeah, um, so the coalition has a website. It is ricadv.org. Um, you can find out more about 10 men projects and events that are happening uh, through that website. Uh, but ultimately, 10 men is a program for adult men to come learn about um, domestic violence dynamics, how to identify them, and how to intervene. Um, so the program is called 10 men. So we try to get um, 10 adult men uh, from all walks of life so they can be educators, people working in transit, um, anybody you can think of. Um, and it's an effort to kind of stop domestic violence from happening because we know that domestic violence is so common that we either know someone personally to us or know of someone who has experienced domestic violence in their life before. And one of the biggest issues we have is um, our communities don't intervene when we see it happening. Um, often we hear terms like, um, you know, that's a family business or something like that. Um, and in order for domestic violence to, to stop, uh, we all need to be educated and learn proper ways to intervene and help people find safety. It's so real. Like, I, this is really sad for me to say, but we, we think about that stuff as somebody else's problem, right? Or maybe it's adjacent to us. We know somebody who's maybe been involved in something like that. But, like, I just broke down a connection between Ian and I where he's very close with somebody who is, like, a, a pre-Steambox student. There's another pre-Steambox student who lived very close to here, right across the line in Pawtucket, who recently died uh, to, from, from her ex-boyfriend. And it was horrifying for me, it was horrifying for the community. But that's a, it's a real thing that happens. Which is why it brings me joy to have these conversations so we can talk about relationships and we can start to establish norms and figure out what's healthy and what's not. So I invite all of you to think of your questions right now for Ian. We're gonna put a lot of burden on him to help us sort that out. But Ian, I'm wondering if you could help us out with a question that we had recently. Somebody asked on this podcast, who has it easier, men or women? That's a really loaded question. Of course uh, it is. It depends on what you're looking at. Like, 
what do you mean by easier? Whose life is easier? That of a man or that of a woman? I, I feel like I can't answer that question because I might get in trouble for saying one or the other. Um, I really think it's depending on what you're looking at, right? So are you looking at in conversations around mobility, relationships? And I think for this conversation, we're thinking about relationships. Um, and I do think it is men who have the upper hand in relationships. Um, we live in a patriarchal society. We all know what patriarchal is, right? Yeah. So that means that our men are have more opportunities in our in power most often than not. Um, and when we're thinking about relationships, we kind of tend to realize that men are the ones who are able to skate through, right? Like if there's anything that you would see negatively against a woman, a woman, um, men won't have that same kind of like strike on their record. So when it comes to relationships, I definitely think the men have the upper hand. Um, you even see it in music, you see it like in society. Um, our founding fathers, like you, you think about kind of terms like that and see how the man is always put forward um, regardless of what they've accomplished before the woman does. So, okay, so it sounds like you gave an answer. It sounds like you were like, I'm not going to give an answer, but, <laughs> and then you gave an answer. I appreciate that. There's a whole bunch of other things that Steambox has touched on recently that I'd love to have conversations about, including women shedding their skin, but I'm going to save that for next week. I'm going to save that for next week. What I want to talk about right now, going back, before I open it up to questions, a moment ago you were also talking about uh, the importance of domestic violence prevention. Mm -hmm. So what if somebody in the, at this table, and, and I hate to say because I, I don't want to make it all about women being um, That's right. the victims, because I've seen men be victims too, Absolutely. disproportionately less. Mm -hmm. But if anybody at the table experiences that, what's the first thing that they should do? What's, what should they consider? Should they talk to their friends? Is they, should they call a hotline? Yeah, I think it varies from person to person. Um, one of the hardest thing is when you are connected to someone who's experiencing domestic violence um, and they not understand that they're in an abusive relationship. Um, there's like so many layers to, to discuss when we're thinking about this, but one of the biggest things to do is really just be with that person, right? So if you yourself are the one who's experiencing abuse, um, you have to think about what's safe for you and what you're prepared to do. So some people may tell you to call a hotline. It may just be talking to a friend and really identifying what you're experiencing and what other ways you can seek help around it. So there really isn't one answer. I think it's a case-by-case -case basis. What if it does get to the point where they should seek intervention? Is, is there a phone number? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we do have a statewide helpline. Um, that helpline will refer you to the appropriate um, organization. Um, and it's 1-800-494-8100. Um, and it's a toll-free hotline, so you can go to any single phone and, and make that call. It won't, you won't be charged for anything. You won't need, like an accessible service phone either. So you can kind of make it from anywhere. You said statewide, um, which implies Rhode Island because we're in Rhode Island, but you gave an 800 number. Does that work nationwide or is that more local? That's more local, which is a very good question. Okay. Um, in most cases, there is a statewide helpline already running, but there is a national one, which I actually don't know the, the exact number to that one. But it, when you go national, like it's gonna be a little bit harder for you to get more connected to a program 
because um, they have to consider like all 50 states and, and the surrounding countries. So that's a little bit harder, but if you definitely want to get appropriate services in Rhode Island, I would suggest using the Rhode Island-based one that I just shared. Okay, and the reason I asked that is, uh, the reason I clarified is because we our audience is kind of all over the world. That's true. It's weird to me, I don't know why necessarily, <laughs> but um, yeah, they're listening from everywhere and I just wanted to make sure that's a local number and please find out the services that are near you if this is something that you're experiencing. Um, Riri, I'm gonna, what is your question for Ian? I don't know how to word it, but like, um, how do you, how can you spot like domestic violence before it happens? Oh, that's, that's a long, long answer. Um, there's a lot of different things that you want to look at, right? Um, and it, it kind of goes to what I'm here to talk about is like looking at red flags, right? Um, so one of, one of the most obvious ones is really, um, isolation. So when you get a little bit older and you have like more uh, social circles, um, and I'm gonna use terms as abuser and victims um, to not genderize relationships or heterosexual relationships. Um, so I'm gonna start there. So abusers, uh, domestic violence is really about a, a pattern of controlling behaviors, right? So one of those controlling behaviors is isolating their victim from all of their other social circles, right? So it could be their friends, their families, if they're tied to their faith, um, you know, excluding them from going to church and connecting with their faith community, um, job opportunities, all these different kinds of things. They're basically removing them from those other places so they know where they are, that they're only talking with themselves, right? So the person that they're in a relationship with um, and making sure that they're not trying to seek support to get out of the relationship. So that's one of the biggest things. I think it's a little bit different when you're younger, right? Because we're not as independent as an adult maybe. You're still living at home, you still go to school. Um, but what you'll also see is how the person interacts with the victim, right? So the abuser could be, um, they could be like harming them, like uh, verbal abuse, right? So they can be putting them down about certain things. They'll literally tell them in front of their friends where they can and cannot go. Um, they may be forcing them to do something on social media, right? So the, the abuser has a bigger presence. Um, and lastly, just seeing how the relationship between you and your friend changes, right? So it may not be always obvious at first. You may like start to see them drifting apart a little bit more. They're like not talking to you as often, or they may say like, oh, I'm, I'm with my partner now, so I can't really talk to you. It's little things like that, but when you'll really know when they're in an abusive relationship is if you actually go and talk to them about their relationship. Because there's a lot of things that are going to be hidden from the public because that's what the abuser wants, right? They want them to seem like they're the most amazing person in the world to everybody else. But behind closed doors, they're actually a lot more aggressive, mean, controlling, and abusive. So it's kind of like, I didn't give you an answer, but there's like things to look for. Um, but the most important thing is just having that conversation. You keep saying that um, it's hard to answer. You're not giving an answer or acting like you're dodging, but I'm actually <laughs> hearing, I'm hearing a lot of answers yeah. in here. So I want to clarify, though, when we talk about isolation, is there anybody here, whether or not you're in a relationship, would you, if you were in a relationship, be uncomfortable with your partner going with a person of the opposite sex to concert or something like that. Would anybody kind of be uncomfortable with that? Okay, so so there, 
there is a raised hand, it seems, I understand, I understand the word jealousy would be used to label or something like that, but it also seems like <laughs> it, it, it's normal enough where I feel like everybody kind of related whether or not they raised their hand and would try to prevent that. Is that isolation? Like, so what do we mean by isolation? Is it isolation if we, if, if, if the person who raised their hand expressed that they're uncomfortable with that, are they then isolating their partner? Not necessarily. I think we, these are all learned behaviors, right? So there's like conversations amongst our peers when we're looking at um, famous people, right? And their relationships or just stuff that we're learning on TV through music where we're learning these behaviors on how to be in a relationship. And I chuckled a little bit at this conversation because this is one that I have very often with my friends and other people that you know are in my social circles. And that's because like 90% of my friendships are all women. And I'm in a relationship. Um, I've been with my partner for two, a little over two years now. And before we started dating, like this was a conversation I had very early on. I'm like, listen, I'm gonna let you know now, my biggest, biggest like peer group are women. And I've known them for a very long time. These are people I've knew since I moved to Rhode Island. And I wanna let you know, like there is nothing between them. They're just like the friends that I've had. And she was totally cool about it. She's like, you know, it's no problem with me. You know, we're communicating and you're saying that up front. But I think what happens is, is that there's a lot of conversations about trust, right? And I think that's what it comes down to. I definitely don't, don't think there's anything wrong with you expressing what your boundaries are and asking to have real communication about the things you're doing and who you're with. But there is like, an exception and I think that's why I often have been saying like it's kind of hard to answer and I can't really give a real response because you have to have a real conversation to figure out what's deeply rooted in that this might be personal but can you think of an example where there was a line drawn and maybe the penalty flag came out and said well yes I am uncomfortable with this mm -hmm. can you think of an example like that that's kind of hard for me to respond to because I I haven't been in many relationships. I've been in three. Um, my most recent one is my third one. And, I, and that's when I consider like I've been in a substantial relationship with someone for an X amount of time. Because um, I think like we have like really short term relationships and there isn't like a lot of weight to it. But for me, there's definitely in my previous relationships, there's been times where, you know, I, in my professional role, like it is a community job. So I'm out in the community a lot and I'm looking to better my own professional experience. So. There were times where like, you know, my previous relationship, I tried to go out and bring them along with me because I felt like it'd be a little bit easier for my ex-partner to like feel comfortable me going out as often as I did. To me, people, you know, you guys are younger, to have drinks with them, um, be part of fundraisers and just do different kinds of activities. Um, but at a certain point, like I would bring it up so often and it'd be like, um, you know, especially during the legislative session, which I know this isn't a conversation we're having here, um, but during those times, I was out a lot more often. So it got to the point where um, I just stopped going because I felt like it was always an argument about why I'm going, who I'm going with, how long I'm going to be out. And even when I would come home, it would be kind of an argument. So um, definitely not, not like a specific instance where there was a conversation and I was like, I don't, I don't like that. Um, but I think that's like one thing that comes up for me a lot. All right. Next question. Uh, do you see abuse in more cultures than others, and why do you think that is? So not in more cultures, but we hear these little tidbits, right? Um, 
So in my previous role, um, I was with the Coalition Against Domestic Violence. That's where I also did the 10 Men program. Um, and part of my job was to um, oversee the intervention classes that we had for any abuser who was court mandated to attend these classes. And it's if they've been arrested and been charged with some kind of domestic violence crime. Um, and basically my role was to come into the programs and see how the facilitator is managing the group. So the groups are like about 10 people each, 10, 15. Um, and something I would always hear is, um, and, and I'm speaking to this because I'm, I'm part of the Latino community, um, and something that the men would say is that, oh, you know, that's part of the machismo culture. Like, that's, that's the way we are. That's why we are leading this way into our relationships. And I always thought that was funny because, yes, I'm part of that culture too, and I've seen the own men in my own life and how they're not from the United States, they come from different countries, and they wouldn't exactly identify with that, right? So I definitely don't think that there's more violence happening in different cultures, but I think it shows up differently because we're programmed to think, because we've seen it done for so long, this is the way that it has to be. Um, and as you grow older, you'll learn like you should always question things, right? So what's happening is because children are, are raised in homes where this is happening, that they start to internalize that and they think, this is how my relationship should look like, this is how I should act in my relationship. And they'll tie these little things to their culture and say, because my culture taught me this, then this is how I must act. But that's a really great question. Brandon wanted to follow up on, uh, that was a great question, thank you. Brandon wanted to follow up on earlier, earlier in the day, during volume one of this podcast, a student mentioned, student mentioned body count, and whether or not it's important. Is it toxic to ask for body count? Or are there reasons that are fair to just have those conversations? Another student talked about it's important for speed because if somebody has a much higher body count, they thought it would be important to have those conversations about slowing down if they have a much smaller body count. Is it appropriate to ask those kind of questions? That is also a really great question because Communication is key, right? So if there's something that you personally know would bother you if you found out later from someone else, not from the person you're in a relationship with, then ask. Ask early on. Don't let it stir in your emotions. Don't let other people influence your decisions. Like, a relationship should be built around trust and communication. So I don't think it's necessarily appropriate to ask that question. I think it's really what's behind it. Like, why are you asking that question? If you found out a certain answer, what are you gonna do with that information? Like, how important is it to you? But you also said something about speed, and I think that's also very important. What happens in abusive relationships is that there's something called coercion, right? So that's when, and it's a little difficult to explain, but it's kind of like someone is making you do something without showing you that they're forcing you to do it. Um, so speed is really important. It's like, if you're not ready for something, you know, don't be pressured into doing it. You have to talk to your partner and tell them, listen, this isn't comfortable with me and it doesn't have to be about body count, right? It could be about anything. This is not comfortable for me. I'm not ready to meet your family. I'm not ready. I, I just recently learned something about uh, um, when you introduce your partner to social media, what is that called? 
stuff that young people are saying and now. Soft not, launching? Yeah, soft launching. That is crazy. That is the most craziest thing I learned what about today. I'm way too that old. I'm, way, I'm, I'm still... I'm going to let y'all... I don't even know what that is. My brain is still broken from 21 Savage last night yelling bean over and over again. What is soft launching? What is this? So you could take photos of yourself? I'm sorry. It wasn't 21 Savage. It was Travis... Scott? Scott, that dude. So girls would like take photos of themselves with their boyfriends, but their boyfriends aren't like showing their face or like key identification. It's such a Chloe thing. Shut up. <laughs> and it's such a Chloe thing. Yeah. So. And it's like their hand or like their back. And it's like all part of an aesthetic. Like that's the way I kind of internalized it. It's like part of an aesthetic. We're gonna do a soft launch. Like I'm gonna tell people on social media that I'm in a relationship, but I'm not gonna show you who it's with. Yeah. Yeah, I'm coming to you in a second. Is that is that meant for fun? Or is that meant to ease people into you dating? Privacy. It's meant for privacy? How are you some private but showing your boyfriend at the same time? That's well you point. know how some people are like, uh or like it's just to be snobby, like, oh I don't want to show my boyfriend off, he'll go to other girls or something, you know? I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Uh-huh. But I just say yeah. like <laughs> But it's so interesting you say that because that that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's like these learned behaviors that we have, it's like you don't want other girls to come after your boyfriend or you don't want your boyfriend to go after other girls. So is that a kind of thing about trust that society is telling you you have to have? Or is it just like, I trust this person completely, right? So if you're entering in a relationship, in my opinion, it should be 100% trust. I was just going to say, I soft launched my boyfriend, but it was because he doesn't like his face on social media. So, like, I soft launch him, but at the same time, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm still going to post his face, but then he'll cry about it. And then, like... <laughs> is that more for him? That's for more him. for him, right? Yeah. Because, and, but what Chloe mentioned seemed like it was more to introduce everybody else. Yeah. But for your example, it was more to introduce him and to get him comfortable uh, being seen like that. Yeah. I've never, I've never heard of this. This is interesting. So new to me. I, I, this, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Like, I like how thoughtful it is. I like I like the idea of you ever you ever don't want to jump right into the water because it's cold, mm-hmm. so you'll go in a little bit at a time, yeah, to avoid the shock, and th- that's what it feels like this is, or at least as it's been described. But to some me. people will be like, "Oh my gosh, is that someone else?" And I'm like, "Ew, no." Like I have had a few people like, "There's this kid in my class," yep, and they thought it was him, and I was like, "No." When soft launching goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations on class clown. Appreciate it. Yeah, and most awkward. And most awkward. And most awkward. awkward. Don't know how they conflict a lot. Well, we'll talk about women shedding skin next week. That's the class clown part. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But what I was going to ask was that the whole, because one, obviously there's like that soft launch that could go wrong. But um, like, has there ever been a point where like he actually just started showing his face more often or no? In the picture? Yeah. So, yeah. like, now you just got comfortable with it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was, I was so, wondering. like, now he's more comfortable with me posting it. But, like, if it's, like, a dinner date, he doesn't want me to be, like, oh, we ate this, you know? Like, it's not like that. Like, we both don't want that because it's just, like, privacy. So, so, it worked. Yeah. This brings up, so there's another element. There's the opposite of this. And I'm sorry. I know you were in the middle of something. Then we got into soft launching. And now here's another tangent. <laughs> has anybody ever felt like, um, has any, anybody ever felt like the idea of not posting or somebody being so private about their relationship with you has anybody ever felt like maybe somebody was embarrassed? When you reward that, bro. Of their significant other. So let's say let's say you're dating somebody, but they don't tell anybody. And they don't post pictures of it or anything like that. Would that be like, would 
the idea of that be that they're ashamed of you or would it be okay that they could just do it on their own time? Some will say it's privacy. That's like a big thing. I feel like that's like an embarrassment. Or an embarrassment. Privacy or embarrassment. That's interesting. That's two different directions. Did you have something? Eli. Hi. Hi. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I'm faking it. Anyway. Your question. My question, all right, uh, what made you go into this line of work or did you always know you were going to do something like this? It's a good question. Um, I, so I went to, when I was in undergrad, so when I was in college, um, I did a lot of social justice work um, and my major wasn't going to do anything for me. I had a fine arts major. It was like creative <laughs> writing. Um, when you guys, if you guys go to college, like there's a lot that happens. So definitely, um, You'll experience that a little later on. Um, but I didn't. Um, I had a lot of really good mentors and other advisors who were, like, steering me in the right direction. Um, I'm going to do a big shout-out to Don Mays. Um, some Don of you Mays, my yes. guy. Yes, sir. I worked under Don Mays. Um, I also worked under Candice de los Reyes. Um, she's, I think she's at Wheeler School right now. Um, and they were really good mentors of mine. And they knew that I was really wanted to do something in the community, something around social justice. Um, and they steered me towards this organization, which I was very happy for. Um, I did something I was unfamiliar with, so my role was primarily doing policy and legislative analysis, um, which I wasn't familiar with and never did anything with government or nothing like that. Uh, but the organization was really great in doing, um, uh, educating all of their staff, like really doing the training on hand um, and supporting them with the other kinds of work that they wanted to do. So I stayed there for a really long time. Um, and they had a really great office culture, so I was there for seven years, um, and now I'm at Roger Williams again. So, if anybody's interested in healthy relationships, um, statistics on domestic violence and prevention. If any of the young men around or anybody listening, can you guess why Ian is a unicorn in the field? <laughs> Why is Ian special in the field? Why is he a unicorn? Go ahead. Most men don't look into those topics because they don't feel afflicted. Like, it's not their problem, even though men do suffer from domestic violence. I wouldn't even, I hadn't even presumed to guess why. So you might be right. That might be some of the motivation. But you're right. It does seem to be a woman-dominated industry. Is that what your experience has been? Yeah. (laughs) In my seven years, we had... For the, I think for the first four years, it was just me and my supervisor. We were the only men on staff. Um, well, we had a part-time person. And then we are going to be interviewing in a couple of weeks is Devin, who's now um, the coordinator for the 10-men program. He actually got a promotion, so I think it's manager. Um, so for a long time, it was just me, one other person, and a part-time staff who wasn't in the office. And then Devin came along, so it was now three, three, three men. You're absolutely right. It is heavily women-dominated. Um, organizations and work um, because primarily the victims are women so um, in any kind of social service work you're going to see that the people who are working at these organizations are the ones who are more directly affected by whatever cause you're supporting Um, so yeah even when I would go to like national conferences there'd be like 10 I know I keep saying 10 which is kind of funny there'd be like just about a handful of men um, in the in these organizations and what's more interesting is there were mostly men in policy. So it was policy-based work. So it was like they were attorneys. They were up at the state house, like, advocating for their bills and stuff. So it was like the traditional, like, 
man role. Um, and for the folks that are hearing us, I'm, I've been doing a lot of air quotes, so I was like <laughs> air quoting um, men roles because I'm, I'm trying to you know, break down those dynamics that there shouldn't be a man or a woman's job. But it, it still seems like there's an advantage for you in this industry because, and I don't mean that in a bad way, yeah. but I mean because there, are, because there are so few. And I think just in terms of representation, I think there's an importance to that. So uh, if anybody's interested in that industry, I would imagine that you'd have a lot of work and a lot of opportunities. Keith, what's your question? Oh, um, my question was the, because like, you were talking about how it was like you and like some other guy and some guy that wasn't, um, that, was, uh, that wasn't in the office most of the time. I was wondering if like, if it was ever toxic per se in that work environment, like as in like, I mean, cause it's like you said, it's woman dominated, right? So I definitely wonder if you gotten like looks from not only like coworkers that you had, but from people like that were just either listening in or like seeing it happen at the same time, and they like you just gotten like bad, like what's the word for it? Bad vibes. I guess. Can we pause? Yeah. Um, it's interesting with you asking that question because you come from a woman-dominated household, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, have there been times where you've been where you felt like you were at a disadvantage? Being in a woman-dominated household, yeah, and how has how has that affected you? Well, for one, um, the this is gonna sound kind of sexist. Uh, the one thing that I've learned or have heard from my uncle, uh, who's like who doesn't live with me, but he like he was my grandmother. The one thing I've heard from him was, um, if you go into an argument with a woman, you're wrong, and if even if they're wrong, you're wrong, and I'm like. I, at the time, I was, like, too young, so I was like, nah, I can't, like, you know, I tried defending myself sometimes, but then I was like, yeah, there's no end to it. I might as well just stop here and just take that out. There's been times like that, and that's kind of, that's what. Is that good advice? I don't think it is. It's I definitely don't think day, it is. It stands to this day. It does I, stand. I think in any relationship, you have to pick your battles. That's really what it comes down to. So it's interesting, because Ian immediately stripped women from the situation, uh, again, dismantling womanhood. Thanks a lot, Ian. That's crazy. <laughs> no, but, but if you remove gender from the equation, I think Ian was saying there's some merit to the advice, right? Picking your battles uh, is yeah. important. Yeah. But, uh, so back to his question. Yeah. Have you experienced that Actually, since you're working in a woman-dominated industry? How bad has it gotten? Like, because like, obviously you're still there, so nothing's Oh, no, really I'm not there anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you're still doing the, this, the, the whole, like... No, nah, I, I was invited because of my experience, but mm. I, I was there for a long time. And you're asking, like, how, how bad, how, like... How bad was... Like, has it happened? Which I'm, I want to say yes, but I'm not going to, like, assume for you. And how bad has it gotten? Um, Did the I, women in the office team up on you? Nah. <laughs> Did, Did Zuma nah. do something to you? Did nah. Jump I wasn't even there when Zuma was there, unfortunately. I came, like, right after her. And we worked, actually, at the uh, College Crusade. She was one of my supervisors for a little while. Um, so I had met her before, and I was like, oh, dang, I'm going to work with Zuma again. But then she was coming out. I was coming in. Um, but nah, nothing like that really happened. Um, I think for myself, understanding the power dynamics for between, like, a man and a woman, I... And, and I do this in a lot of spaces. It's not just that kind of space. I often like pull myself back and like let um, other people have the opportunity to talk or engage or, or um, participate. So I don't think anything like that ever happened. Um, and when I started, 
um, the people who were there had been there for some time. So definitely there was already an office culture that I was kind of like, you know, working myself towards. Um, but as far as like any kind of like toxicity, like I don't think nothing like that happened. And I, I am going to say this with a grain of salt. In most cases, when you're working for a social justice organization, most likely they're going to be doing some work to dismantle like the bad toxic stuff that happens in a workplace they don't always do it great they're going to talk the talk a lot they're going to be like we've done this training we've hired these people but when it comes down to like the hierarchy of like management and then their staff um that gets a little crazy and whether it's about gender or race like it's going to come out in different ways but i think when i was there like i had no real beef it was a good place to work that's why i was there for a while kim last week talked about being at a disadvantage in at, in a specific place as a girl and she noticed differences between how the boys were treated in certain areas has anybody else at the table uh any of the other women because we asked the men have any of the women felt been in a male dominated space and felt disadvantaged unfair taken advantage of any of that please give me tell me more of course. so at my household it's mostly boys so I have three brothers and then my dad. And at my house, usually it's just me and my mom. So most of the time, I'll ask my brothers, oh, can you like pick up the stuff off the living room floor? And they're like, no, I'm doing something. Can't you do that? So I just end up doing it. Would that be true if it was a sister? Or do you think it's different because, because of the gender specifically? So the way my brothers grew up, they were raised by my dad, basically. And the way my dad thinks, women belong in the kitchen. Women should be cleaning, cooking, taking care of children, all that stuff. Um, yeah. It's, it's really easy. A lot, of us, a lot of us might like get chills or be irked by that statement. But I think the world is in a place right now where we can finally recognize some basic equity like norms and rights and wrongs. And I think it's also true, like we all have those old elders in our family who might not have accepted those norms. Go ahead, and then you, go ahead. Um, like another example is like, I go to church and um, like my mom, she, she, so like there's different programs in the church and one of the programs is like a woman's program. And it's only a woman's program. Like there's no men's program because the men do everything. And so she like kind of like, she kind of like, she's the leader and she tries to like um, advocate, advocate? Uh, yeah, yeah, that works. Yeah. For like the lead, the woman in the church to like be able to participate more, like it's it's crazy how much, like my mom has been told like, oh no, you can't preach because like you know you're a woman, and things like that, and it's just crazy to me because most of us there are women. Like if it weren't for us, like you know, and so it's just crazy to me. Yeah. Sometimes. Especially um, in church. Uh, I. I don't know about the church thing, because I'm not gonna like say much. But I don't. I'm afraid of churches. Yeah, I don't want to get stuck uh, right in here either. Man. <laughs> but for Chloe, for, for the whole thing with Chloe, where it's like women belong in kitchens like that. Um, my like with me, it's the same except like reversed. Whereas in like men are supposed to do like all the hard stuff, and like see for me, I'm better at like cooking than I am at like doing everything else. I don't like trash. Okay, like I can't fuck like if there's something leaking off a trash bag, I'm not dealing with it. Yeah, but like they're usually like, oh, you're supposed to be a man, you deal with that. Or like, say if there's like a dead mouse on the floor. You told me something about a door one time. 
yeah, so um, there was this one time, and I, I don't know, if, I don't, I'm pretty sure this might be the same story, but there's one time where uh, my mom got into a bad relationship. Uh, it, it was horrible. There's been times when I have to fight the guy myself. Um, and they ended up breaking the door. So as a man, I had to go fix the door. I have no idea how to fix the door. I'm not a carpenter. I did as best as I could. I did it, but like, because I'm not going to live with no door on my damn wall, like on like a frame. I need a door. So I didn't know how to do it, but they were like, like my grandmother, my aunts, they're like, yeah, you're a guy, you could do it yourself. And I'm like, I have no idea how to do it, but they're like, you'll figure it out. And that's like the whole thing that got like shunned on me. I, I just like, I hated that. So there's different expectations. Thanks everybody for sharing. Kim, what's your question? Um, what is like the key to a relationship that our well, young people don't really understand? Ooh, tips. Can you please, Ooh. if I may, because I, I want to explore this, can you please give us, I don't know, three tips for a relationship that would help you establish a healthy relationship? Can you please also illustrate three things to identify and look out for that might signify an unhealthy relationship besides the isolation that you already mentioned? Yeah, so successful relationships. Um, honestly, the biggest one is communication. Um, that's talking about the things you like, you don't like. I, I think that soft launch thing was gave me a lot of good perspective, so thank you for that. Uh, but things like that is really important, right? Um, having your own time for yourself. Um, I think what happens sometimes is we spend, and, and I know you guys spoke about the honeymoon phase. I don't know if that was the one earlier. It was just a general conversation. But in the honeymoon phase, like you're often going to spend a lot of time with your partner because it's all brand new. It's when the giggles are happening and everything is great. There's no issues. But once that honeymoon phase is over, you got to get back and start, you know, hanging out with your friends, your family. Because um, you can only spend so much time with a person. And in order for you to really appreciate who you're with, you have to spend a little bit of time away from them. So that's two. I think three. Communication, space. Space. And sharing um, your own interests with each other. Right? I think it's great to, like, um, do things or activities or gain interests that your partner has. But also, like, hold your own identity, too. So, like... Whatever it is you like to do, read or watch, music you like to listen to, how to like decompress, those things you have to keep for yourself and you can share them with your partner, but if those are the things that you like to do, don't change them for anybody. So keep your identity. All right, what are three things that would indicate, uh, what are three things that we should avoid for relationships? Um, I know this one's big, but I think password sharing has to stop, honestly. <laughs> on right. social media because it's your privacy right like I, I've been talking a lot about trust if you're the first thing you and I'm not saying that you can't do that at all like I think further down the line like my partner has my password to my phone I need her to respond when I'm driving or there's something that I could be cooking or washing dishes and I'm like can you look up the recipe or something like totally cool with that but I think a lot of that password sharing starts with mistrust so that's something I was talking about earlier. So when you're going into a relationship, you should trust a person 100%. And there are caveats. Like That's why I continue saying, like, yeah, it's kind of hard to like say this, but there's also this other piece. I think there's kind of layers to it. Um, so password sharing is kind of tough. Um, the isolation, too. 
I like took a lot of notes for you guys. So extreme jealousy or insecurity. So that kind of goes back to like the trusting thing. If you feel like your partner is constantly like jealous or insecure about something, um, that's something they have to work on themselves. It has nothing to do with you. It has probably something to do with what they've experienced in previous relationships. It could be some behaviors that they learned from their family, their other friends. But when you're in a relationship, you should be very trusting. And if there are some things that you're battling with, communication, right? Mm -hmm. Just talking to them about the things that don't make you feel good at the end of the day and how you can work on a compromise. Um, lastly, this is a safety thing. So now we're all, sh I shouldn't say all of us, but we're starting to share locations on our phones, right? I think that's very important. I know, that's that's weird. I, I recently no, learned that. I mean, as a like, yeah, sometimes, but there's sometimes. some people take it too far. Right, like, and that's what I'm going to. So you definitely can share your location with people for safety, but your partner should not be constantly asking you where you are just to keep a hold on you. If you're outside with other people and they're like, you have to be texting me the whole time, that's, again, not you keeping your social circles, not your own identity, things that make you feel good that you want to do for yourself at the end of the day. There has to be a line. And that's why I'm saying, like, anytime I'm giving a response, I'm like, it's kind of hard to say this because there's layers to it. You have to, like, talk it through and actually figure out what's going on. Um, so those are the three big red flags. Do any of those make anybody uncomfortable? Hmm? What do you mean uh, by uncomfortable? Go ahead. Oh, my fault. No, 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 it was for the password sharing thing. Is that considered like a red flag if your significant other's access for your like your uh, password is like password for everything? Is that like a thing where it's like, oh, yeah. instant red flag? Hell yes for me. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but again, I think it depends on where you are in the relationship. So something we touched upon a little bit before was speed. And I don't think we wrapped up that conversation, but talking about like, if you're in a very early like and when I say early, I mean like one to four months. And they already want passwords to all your accounts. That's a big red flag for me because, like, I don't even know you that well. True, and you want to go into my social media accounts. They're going to be seeing conversations that may be old or someone hitting me up. And they're going to be asking questions about that. Like, it's not necessary. I give my phone password because of that communication that I'll need them to, like, figure out. But, like... I don't need to be giving you the passwords to any of my social medias, my emails. It could get to a point to that if we have the conversation, but we definitely don't need to. Any of your parents ever inspect your room? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Did you ever have that thought where, like, if you want to find something, you're going to find something, right? Like, even if I don't have anything, you're going to find something to complain about or something like that, even if I'm good. And those are kind of my thoughts, right? Like, even if I'm good, if you're sharing a password or something like that, or if, if your phone's open and somebody sees in it, I feel like it's really easy for somebody to be like, aha, uh -huh, you hit like to this comment or something like that, you know what I mean? Or take something out of context. It's because there was one time, um, I have like I have like two uh, references, but one, and I might be taking this a bit of context, and if so, I apologize to the person I'm about to kind of expose here. Uh, but it was one time this girl was in a relationship with somebody and she looked at like all of his <laughs> all of his social media and who he was following and of course you know like he seen like she seen some woman that she was like no nah, you can do you can't follow that but then uh basically we all asked vice versa hey listen is there men that you're following 
And she was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, there's people like Michael was B. It? Jordan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Michael, Michael B. Jordan, like, I liked all of his picks. And it's like, but it's not okay for the guy to like a woman's pick, but it's okay for a woman to like a guy's pick. And that was the whole thing we were, like, asking. We were like, hey, like, that's not, that's kind of weird. Because I don't think that should, like, I'm not, like, listen, that's your relationship, bro. You want your relationship, that's fine. That's cool. You do what you want to. But that just seems kind of weird, in my opinion. And the second reference, uh, this is going to kind of be unrealistic to the location thing. Um, you ever seen the movie White Chicks? Uh, <laughs> and there was... <laughs> what? Don't, sorry. Cause she's a white chick. Please uh, go on. Please go on. There was this one time where... I think his name was Marcus. His girlfriend or fiance, one of the two, I don't remember. But long story short, she looked at his location saw where he worked at saw how long it would take him to get to the house and it was like it didn't equate to like eight it was supposed to, all right so basically he had to get there by eight and he got off at work at like i don't know seven Bro, something white chicks hilarious i understand it let's go back to the point um and Monster. i can't i know i'm with you i'm with you and I, i'm gonna get to cam's question for ian in a second but I, I wanna go back, I wanna go back, and I wanna impress upon us the importance of this. When we talk about location sharing, you're talking about, in white chicks, how people can use it maliciously. Yeah, it's just like... When my student died two weeks ago, he went to her workplace when she got out of work. He knew where she was gonna be, he went there, he attacked her, she's dead now. Yes, this shit can be used maliciously. And obviously, I think more to the point, and probably how it's more often used, is somebody's going to become obsessed with knowing where you are at all times. I don't want to take the shine. What would you add to that, Ian, before I go to Cam's question? No, I think that was perfect. Um, it, it is an obsession, and it's, it's controlling. It's making sure that they know where you are, who you're communicating with, and making sure that they're on top of you about it. But I, I think that's a really good point that I was trying to make earlier, right? We're socialized to think that movies like White Chicks are giving us, like, good ways of thinking when we're in a relationship and in that one like that was like really extreme but it can come up that way where they're like all right i know that you're in point a and it takes you this long to get to point b and if it took you a lot longer than that then where were you so something that i didn't touch upon is like how far an abuser can go so are you familiar with the apple tags those little yeah, brown things yeah. so intentionally what they were set to do was to be put in your luggage so in case your luggage ever gets lost you can find it through airport security. Now what people are doing, they're buying a bunch of them and they're throwing them in people's cars. So they're following you to find out where you're gonna be so they can come rob you. But abusers are doing the same thing. They're literally tracking every single stop you make on your route. You won't even know what's in there, so it doesn't beep. They can put it underneath your car seat, they can put it under your car. And those are the really awful things that are happening, is that there is an extreme. So there's definitely like, at the base of it, yes, Making sh I'm sharing my location with you so you know that I'm safe with my friends or my partner, but then it gets to that extreme. Just one more reason why Apple is a piece of shit company with piece of shit devices that nobody should support. Is this an Apple? This is not Apple, right? Wow, bro. Damn, Damn bro. I turn off all my locations. Uh, we got beef with Apple, It's a, but that's a whole thing. Cam, what's your question? I forgot. I already oh. told him that. Yeah. Okay. So oh, well, you said, does it, did that make anybody uncomfortable? I said, what do you mean by uncomfortable? Right, right, right. Okay. I thought we were on you, though. I already said mine. Okay, sorry, sorry. Apologies. I was just going ham on Apple because Apple sucks. And uh, at me, Steambox RI. Did you uh, give us MacBooks? 
Yeah, we got you all MacBooks, and then uh, they were defective out of the box from Apple. Uh, so that's the whole thing. Because he said all of you, so I'm clarifying. Chloe, uh, yeah, no, I'm happy that you got the MacBook. I'm happy that Steambox was able to get those donations. And then uh, I'm sad that they were broken out of the box because Apple sucks and then charged us to fix those for you. But we're getting away from the podcast. Chloe, what's your question? Um, what do you think about the double standards in men and women? Uh, yes. I feel like we kind of hit on that a lot throughout this conversation. I, I want to go back to Keith's thing about the following and the pick liking and all that stuff. Um, I've definitely heard from other people where that that is a thing right there's this double standard where men and and i should i shouldn't only pick on men men and women aren't able to do things that their partner wouldn't agree with but in turn are still doing the same thing and i think it really comes from our socialization right where are we learning where are we learning these messages from so music is absolutely one of the worst places to find um tips on healthy things right because what's really popularized and is going to make you money is all the things we shouldn't be doing with ourselves and with our friends and, and what we do on our spare time. Um, but also movies, too. Like, White Chicks is definitely, like, you'll see a lot of those things come up. But I think once you start to realize that a lot of what media is doing is to control you, you start to pick up on things that, like, maybe if I were to do that or see other people experiencing that in real life, that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, there's definitely a lot of double standards and I think we have to start having conversations about what that looks like, what they are and what's at the root of it really it's all about what's at the root of it why are these things bothering us why are we choosing to have that as something we don't agree with and having that trust because um, if we don't have those conversations then things are just going to spiral into like a lot of toxic behaviors and we don't want that we're going to get more into gender differences next week, so I invite our audience back for Mangu Kon Salami episode four. Romeo, what is your question for Ian? Nice and loud, please. Uh, why are people afraid to leave a recent relationship? Ooh, that's, a, that's, that's a really good question. That's one of the greatest questions of all time. Can I, can I preface this? Mm-hmm. I asked somebody. Somebody was describing a really terrible relationship to me, and... I, they they helped me understand why I was a dickhead for asking this question, and I understand in retrospect why it's insensitive. But somebody's in a, a terrible relationship for a long time. But my natural question was, why didn't you, why why didn't you leave? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, why don't people leave? Can be a factor of many things, right? I think it, it shows up more in adult relationships than um, young people's relationships. Um, but when you're in a relationship for a long time, um, the abuser has such a huge control on you, right? So we didn't even talk about financial abuse. Financial abuse can show up as the abuser taking your check, putting it into their bank account and giving you an allowance. It can show up as them taking out a bunch of credit cards in your name, filling them up and never paying for them. Now your credit sucks. Um, they can be destroying your car, your property, your rental, right? So like if you live in an apartment, you have a lease and it tells you what you can and can't do. Um, if you do anything to violate that lease, they kick you out, right? Um, it also can show up as your abuser coming to your job and sabotaging your employer employment, right? So they can be harassing all your coworkers, constantly calling you on the phone and not letting you do your job. And then your employer's like, you can't do your work. 
you are now um, everyone else has a safety issue with you now you have to leave we can't allow you to work here anymore um, so when people are in a really long relationship like that they're often <coughs> leaning towards what the abuser can provide for them so that's financial um, it could be some form of safety but then on the opposite of that they're afraid to leave because their behaviors escalate. So they can be already physically beating them, and what they're afraid of is them actually killing them. So there's a statistic that says um, one of the most dangerous times for a victim and in an abusive relationship is when they're starting to leave that relationship. So that's why if you go on any of these domestic violence websites, there's an escape button because what that escape button does is when you click it, it takes you 10 pages forward and deletes all your cookie history. So an abuser can never go into your computer or your phone and see that you're looking up services for yourself. Um, the other things that happen is that they may have kids too. So they know that if they leave their abuser, they're gonna use the family court to take more abuse on them. So they're gonna keep like taking them to court so they can have custody over their kids they may lose their kids because dcyf might come involved they may lose their where they're living again they may lose their kids for not having a stable home there's so many things that happen once a person is leaving that relationship that'll be a lot worse for them so oftentimes they feel like they have nowhere to go even on the other end to that nobody might believe them so one of the another reason why i kept saying like it's kind of hard to respond to this question is that domestic violence is severely underreported. So it gets underreported because when victims are calling the police, by the time they get there, the abuser's gone, or they may both have marks on them from a physical altercation. There may be nothing that the cop could do except tell them that the abuser has to leave, but then they come right back. There's so many different reasons, or there's mistrust in police. We know our communities, we don't call the police because we don't trust them. They're the ones causing us more harm. Can I tell you um, earlier, mm -hmm. a student in episode one, she said, we were talking about the power balance and putting in the work after the honeymoon period. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about, well, sometimes if they stop doing the work, well, you've got to do a little bit more because you really want the relationship to work out. Mm -hmm. And there's another element to that where somebody can be a, an abuser of one of many kinds, right? Different labels, different kinds and the other person is simply just trying to try harder mm -hmm. to make their relationship work for any of the reasons that you already mentioned. Yeah. I'm gonna go a little bit faster because we've got to wrap up. Uh, Joseph, what's your question? Is there any extra information about the victim? In regards to what? The um, uh, ex-steam box. Oh, uh, yeah. so yeah, actually, I don't know if you, been following this mm -hmm. but the coalition is actually doing a candlelight vigil uh and i can get some more information i don't know why i don't know if i'm being weird but i kind of don't want to say her name here i don't know if i'm dishonoring her or honoring her by even you know talking about it so i'm talking about it like a general example um but it was really sad and she was an influencer and she did people's hair um and it's a long long time ago she was never really in steambox she was a pre-steambox student much like uh, some of the other people that we know but you know uh, I remember having experiences with her it is not my loss I didn't do a thing on social media where I said hey watch out this 
you know, this is what happened to this girl. I'm telling you now because it's relevant to this situation. But the last thing I wanted was people saying, sorry for your loss or condolences when I feel like there's so many other people that are experiencing a much greater loss because of her vacancy. I, I just, but I do want to point out that examples like Keith mentioned earlier are very real things and they're this close to us. Isaiah, what's your question? All right, so my question is, how would you compare a relationship right now to how it was back then? Like how it's going right now versus how it was back then? So, the biggest difference now is we're not in this concept where men are the breadwinners and they have control over the relationship. I think we saw that, I think it was like World War II when like women started to enter the workforce, Yeah. right? So it was World War II. Um, and that's when we started to realize that women are actually more important than what they used to think about. Um, women started to get voting rights, um, the opportunity to enter the workforce in many various levels. So not just like an entry level position where they were like the office assistant. Now they can be managers, CEOs, all that stuff. Um, we're also making way to non-heterosexual relationships too. So now we're seeing dynamics are shifting a little bit. But the biggest thing of what used to happen back then is that women were forced to stay in the homes. So these gender roles that we we're talking about earlier about like how women belong in the kitchen, their sole responsibility is to make children and take care of children, that's not really it anymore. And it's leading into us advocating for more, especially for the rights of women, especially non-white women, but then it also comes to that our society will not function properly without more involvement of everybody and not just men in the workforce. Um, relationships were really grimy back then. I would suggest like looking into the 20s and how women would look like and how they would interact. Something that we don't really talk about is like women often had substance abuse issues because they were being abused by um, their husbands, um, their husbands were cheating on them, they had no kind of social identity, it was just them being at home all day long, cooking and cleaning and taking care of the kids. So now women have a lot more opportunity and I think that's really important. Ian, I'm going to give you a chance, do you have a question, uh, because we've got Devin and Christian coming on in three weeks, they're going to be here with us, do you have a question for Devin and Christian? Ooh. Damn, what am I going to load them up with? Um, I think so something that's really great um, Christian is doing uh, a young men's pro initiatives just the same as the 10 men I would ask him how the 10 young men program differs from the adult one um, and how other people can get involved um, I think it's a really great program we're talking about prevention right domestic violence prevention all comes from educating our communities that's what the initiative of the 10 Young Men program is. They're learning about toxic masculinity, how they're showing up in their communities, breaking out of the, the man box. So that's something that Devin can talk about is the man box. Um, he'll definitely do a greater way of explaining that. But And we didn't have time for me to go into that piece, but I think that's another really great thing to learn about when we're thinking about healthy relationships. Man, I want to I wanna come back to Isaiah's question, but that's going to have to be in a part two. We are running out of time. So uh, I want to thank Ian for being here. Thank our audience for listening and Warriors 
from Central Falls. Thank you guys. Warriors from Central Falls, please say peace out to the world. Peace out!